Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hi there, plant people. Thank you for joining me. It's Easter weekend. Happy Easter. It's been a little on the uh, chilly side for April, uh, you know, nothing crazy, um, but it's been raining, so that's wonderful, and it's made the weekend quite pleasant, um, nice and cool, and just the perfect gardening weather, because the e- uh, the weeds sure have been easy to pull thanks to that rain, and you know, Yeah, it's been a little cool, Um, but one thing for sure is we will have plenty of hot Texas weather soon enough, so enjoy the cool days. The past few weeks have been really great for springtime in Central Texas. I've been watching the Blue Bonnets, and this year they have been so nice thanks to the rain that we got in the fall and the winter. And the blue bonnets have been so thick and blue and vibrant. Um, But I've noticed um, just in the past couple days that they are starting to fade a bit and they're going to seed. Um, But we have lots of other spring wildflowers and with the last few days being cool and rainy, I suspect that we are in for an extended wildflower season. So we'll have, I think we're going to have wildflowers a little bit longer than usual. Blanket flowers have also started blooming. These are the daisy-shaped flowers that have um, kind of maroon, burgundy, reddish petals that are tipped with bright yellow. They have a couple of different names. You might have you might have heard them called Gylardia or Firewheels. Um, I like that Firewheels because it's a really good description since the red and yellow petals form around a brownish red center, just like the spokes on a wheel. I've always um, just called them blanket flowers without really knowing why. Um, I never really thought about it. Um, When I first moved to Texas years ago, I assumed they meant that um, it looked like a colorful blanket pattern, like a quilt pattern or something. Um, You know, something that didn't really exist anymore and didn't really give it a lot of thought. Um, But I decided to look it up again and came across some interesting stories about them. One is that they bloom and spread across fields and meadows and alongside the road. Um, They spread quite thickly and cover the area like a blanket. And I can, I can see that. I've seen that. In Native American folklore, um, they have a story that there was once a very kind and generous blanket weaver who made and gave away all of his blankets to the poor and unfortunate. When he died, um, flowers were 
spread over his grave to cover him like one of his beautiful blankets. And the flowers return year after year to remind us of his kindness. But um, I found another story. Um, it was pretty interesting. Um, I f- found out about a legend um, from the Aztecs. According to their legend, the blanket flowers were always solid yellow. They were the absolute favorite flower of the people. Aztec women wore them in their hair. People wore them on their clothes. And kids would play in the fields of golden blanket flowers. I mean, they, they're beloved blanket flowers for sure. But then the Spanish arrived and things went downhill. Cortez conquered Mexico pretty much by slaughtering and murdering the Aztec people. And the flowers were just horrified and brokenhearted because the Aztec people were murdered. So the flowers collected the blood of the fallen Aztecs as it spilled into the earth. And when the flowers returned the following year, they had red centers to symbolize their friends and symbolize the blood of the Aztec people. So um, I'm not probably not going to look at Galardia or blanket flowers in the same way. Uh, that's like a very horrible story. Um, but they are still a nice flower. Um, Texas State University thinks so too. And supposedly their school colors were inspired by the maroon and gold of blanket flowers. Also, Oklahoma adopted the blanket flower as their state flower. Um, Gallardias are the only host plant to the Shania flower moths. These are small moths that have evolved to become almost the same color as the center of blanket flowers. Um, So the moths are kind of a reddish brown color too. When the moths nestle up in the centers of blanket flowers, they are so well camouflaged that they stay hidden from predators. It keeps them safe. Flower moths lay their eggs exclusively on blanket flowers. They only lay them on the blanket flowers. Um, The moths, um, when they land on the centers, um, it ends up pollinating the flowers and they form seeds and they form a seed head and then as their eggs hatch and grow the larvae feed on the seeds another spring wildflower that is starting to appear along the roadsides are clasping cone flowers these are golden egg yolk yellow flowers they have a narrow Um, pointy brown cone-shaped center. They look kind of like um, a black-eyed Susan, but they have fewer petals that droop downwards instead of um, flat and horizontal like other asters. They have a um, distinctly elongated center. Um, That's where the cone part comes in. Uh, Clasping cone flowers have thin, smooth stems and 
I think they're one of the more delicate looking wildflowers. Black-eyed Susans, even other coneflowers like purple coneflower, they have thicker, sturdier, more substantial stems. Clasping coneflowers have like a delicate, thin wire type stem. Clasping coneflowers have heart-shaped oblong leaves. They appear lower along those thin stems, and the way that the leaves are situated, um, it kind of looks like they are holding or clasping the stem, kind of like how two human hands would hold a bouquet. Mexican hat wildflowers um, look very similar. Their flowers also have droopy petals that point downward from um, a cone-shaped center. Mexican hats have brownish red petals that are have just like a like a little thin line of yellow. Um, they really do look similar, but they don't have leaves along their stems. Their leaves um, look different too. Um, they're very ferny and kind of feathery looking. Prairie coneflowers are another similar looking plant. They are also golden yellow, but um, unlike the clasping coneflowers and Mexican hats, they have um, green cones. Um, the other two have brown cones. Clasping coneflowers, um, they grow to um, two to three feet tall. They tolerate light shade and um, a variety of soil types, including clay soil like we have here in Taylor and our side of IH35, but they also grow in rocky, thin, caliche soil, which is what they predominantly have on the western side of 35. Clasping coneflowers, um, they have the brown center, um, but they also have a bit of dark brown at the base of the petals where they join um, the center cone and this gives the cones, uh, it makes the cones look larger than they actually are. Um, it's just that brown part of the, the petal makes, makes them look longer. Clasping coneflowers are an important source of nectar for bees and butterflies and they bloom for quite a while um, they have a longer bloom season than some of the other spring wildflowers they bloom april through july and i think that's really impressive for such a delicate sweet looking little flower they keep blooming long after other wildflowers go to seeds and since they bloom for three to four months and they will grow anywhere, they grow in clay and caliche soil, they are one of the keystone native plants. Keystone native plants are critical to the food web. They are necessary for many wildlife species to um, complete their life cycle. Insects like butterflies, moths, native beads, and other pollinators use them as, um, for nectar and also as host plants. Also, 96% of all terrestrial birds depend on the insects who live on or consume keystone plants. There are two types of keystone plants, host plants, that supports butterflies, moths, bees, um, and then there's also um, plants 
that support bees because um, there are certain bees that only feed on the pollen of specific plants. So there are the host plants that support butterflies and moths, and then there are keystone plants that um, su support specific bees. And, um, you know, that relationship um, with the flowers and the insects um, is, re is really critical. And a great example of a keystone plant is the relationship um, between blanket flowers and flower moths. Keystone plants are found all across the United States. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency um, divided the U.S. into 13 different eco-regions, all which have their own keystone plants that are important critical plants within their eco-region. The 13 um, eco-regions are divided into really large areas. Um, Texas is in eco-region 9, and that is called um, the Great Plains eco-region, and this region extends from far south Texas at the Mexican border all the way up through the high plains, the southwest tablelands, and then all the way up through the northern glaciated plains in Canada. Each area, all of the eco-regions are um, broken down into smaller, more distinct regions um, that are familiar to us based on soil type, uh, climate, um, and for locally, for us here in Central Texas, our eco-region within eco-region 9 is the Edwards Plateau. Keystone plants in the Great Plains include trees, shrubs, and flowering perennials. Um, they might not be found in every single part of the Great Plains, but there are species that have similar characteristics, um, and they all support insects and wildlife in the region. These native plants are absolutely critical. Um, without healthy native plants, wildlife can't survive. Um, they depend on these keystone plants for food, for shelter, and places to raise their young. And many of our Texas wildflowers are keystone plants. Now, Central Texas has seen an incredible amount of growth in the last 30 years. Um, I've only been in Texas for uh, 21 years now, and I am just amazed by how much it has changed. I mean, lots and lots of more people and businesses and houses and paved surfaces. Um, to me, it, you know, it's exciting. Um, I enjoy the vitality of change. But, you know, I do have my moments that cause me to be um, wistful. Uh, like, the you know, the other day I was in a neighboring town. Um, I was visiting a store. And as I was leaving um, the parking lot, um, it's, it has a lot of new um, stores in it now, um, I noticed a cluster of purple prairie verbena growing in the retention pond in the area next to that parking lot. And, you know, it was really pretty, but it kind of struck me, and I wondered just 
how much Prairie Verbena would have been there if it had not become a parking lot. And it made uh, it made me a little sad to think about how nature is being displaced by humans. But I also know that we live in a modern society and we all benefit from that. But, you know, it caused me to think, you know, here are all these buildings, all these houses, um, and like 99% of these subdivisions have boring grass lawns with extremely little biodiversity. And it's going to be really important for us to include native plants in our landscapes so that we don't upset nature too much. But we all can do our part, like planting native plants and letting nature do her thing, like letting plants exist in our lawns. Um, so all these so-called weeds, um, you know, allow them to bloom and feed the small pollinators. Um, those small pollinators are consumed by bugs and other critters, and it's just like this whole big ecosystem and it's nature's life cycle. Early spring in Central Texas is my favorite time of the year, and it's the perfect time to plant summer favorites like beans, corn, cucumbers, and squash, all from seed. True Leaf Market has been selling heirloom and organic garden seeds since 1974. They offer a huge selection of seeds of all kinds, veggies, herbs, flowers, grains, cover crops, specialty seeds, and even sprouting in microgreen seeds. Whether you need just a small packet with a few seeds or several pounds, True Leaf Market offers sizes for everyone, from the home gardener to professional growers. Order online at trueleafmarket.com. Be sure to use promo code Plow hose 10 and take 10% off your order at trueleafmarket.com. Spring in Central Texas is here, and if you're interested in growing some of your own produce or you just want to add new plants to your landscape, let Taylor Garden Center help. Taylor Garden Center is an independent local nursery that not only specializes in native and drought tolerant plants and trees, they also carry a full range of soil amendments and organic products. Springtime is the best time to plant summer and fall blooming bulbs and Taylor Garden Center is stocked with all your favorites. Plus they have added bulk summer flower seeds so you can purchase as much or as little as you desire. Selection is still great if you need fruit and nut trees. So come by and check out all the quality trees and look for special pricing. Shop local and head over to Taylor Garden Center located at 1902 West 2nd Street in Taylor, Texas. You are listening to Plow Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you will go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming from our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. Also, head over to 
Amazon or Apple or wherever you get your shows and subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. If you'd like the flexibility, be able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want. Download some episodes and be sure to leave a review. This is going to help others find the show and downloading Plow and Hose episodes provides me with statistics. Okay, well, I'm going to guess that a lot of us, all y'all plant people listening to Plow and Hose, um, I'm going to guess that we live in just regular neighborhoods, in regular towns, all across Central Texas. So unless you live in an unincorporated area, like just outside city limits or out in a more rural area, then your landscape is likely influenced by some sort of regulated standards like local ordinances and homeowner association rules. Municipal ordinances are the laws created at the local level. They are in addition to state and federal laws. Homeowner associations also dictate certain standards for their developments. These are the rules that you agree to when you move into the neighborhood. So you can have state, federal, and municipal ordinances that you have to follow. Um, And they can be slightly more lenient than some of the rules that a neighborhood association can come up with. So even if the local law says it's okay to do something, um, homeowner association rules can supersede them. Now, I wanted to bring up both of these um, local ordinances and HOA rules um, because they play a big part in how your personal property, your yard, your landscape look. And more often than not, they favor well-manicured and turf grass spaces. But why? I don't think that's right. I don't think it's fair, but... um, These ideas and standards are really tied up into that quintessential American dream of home ownership. You know, single family houses with white picket fences and beautiful lush green lawns. These suburban ideals have been perpetuated for like almost 100 years and they're popular because they foster notions of wealth and luxury and leisure. And these ideas um, are reflected in a lot of our local ordinances and homeowner rules. And there are, um, to me, it's the really interesting socioeconomic dynamics that have played into these ordinances that have been created and how we live and our expectations for how our neighbors live. Landscaping and personal property are highly visible and creating rules and standards around them like how tall the grass is, how green the lawn is, how much grass you have to have. um, That provides a sense of order and control that a whole lot of Americans like. The landscaping industry 
in the U.S. is worth $129 billion. And that's just landscaping. That's not agriculture. That's just homes and business landscaping. That's plants, fertilizer, equipment, irrigation, labor. And that's a whole lot of money for installing and maintaining mostly inedible plants like grass. It's really complicated and probably more than I should talk about today um, because I can really go off on community landscaping laws and HOA standards, but I'm going to try to rein it in, tone it down some because it's something I'm a little passionate about. Um, You know, maybe another time I'll go on a big old ranty rant about this, but let me just say I'm not a big fan of lawns. Personally, I have little desire to be a slave to turf grass. Uh, Lawns are expensive and they're really labor intensive and to maintain them to some of these standards that are required, uh, you got to fertilize them and keep them green and all through the harshest time of our Texas winter. And, you know, that leads to over-fertilization, which leads to pollution. And, you know, for us here in Texas, conventional lawns deplete one of our most precious resources of water. It's, it's an insane practice to me. Um, and, you know, if I had my way, I would get rid of most of my lawn and um, foster a more natural landscape where I have intentionally planted spaces that are cultivated for food or, or beauty. And then the rest would just be natural. Um, just let things go wild. Let the plants grow and flower and set seed so that I can attract pollinators and birds and small creatures to my landscape. But that's not super realistic since I live in town and I have neighbors and I also have a family. So we try to maintain a balance and live within the standards of community. Um, We do allow the grass to grow just a little bit taller between mowings. We don't irrigate or fertilize or put like herbicide or pesticides on our lawn to keep them perfect. Um, And we do this because we can attract more nature and be more earth-friendly by reducing emissions from gas-powered equipment, lawnmowers, weed eaters, that kind of stuff. Plus, by not using harsh synthetic chemicals in our landscape, uh, I feel better not contributing to water and soil pollution. Um, Synthetic products like um, fertilizer are so easy to overdo because they are like super vitamins for the grass. Um, There's too much in them and it's so easy to overdo um, fertilizer. And what the grass doesn't use, it just builds up in the soil and that jacks up your soil biology. And, you know, when we do get nice rains, eventually that soil, um, the fertilizer that's built up in the soil, eventually leaches into our water table. So no, thank you. I'm not interested in doing any of that. 
Now, when I first moved into my house um, years ago, the front lawn was perfect, and the people before us kept a nice thick lawn out front, um, just solid, green, glorious, single-species monoculture, and not a single weed to be seen. And there were also very few pollinators. So give me the real deal. I like all the little flowers in my lawn and all the cool insects and birds that hang out around my house. Over the past decade or so, there's been a lot of interest and also genuine concern about the impact of losing biodiversity, particularly around the declining numbers of honeybees and monarch butterflies. A lot of attention on these two species, but it's not just those two, it's other pollinators. And it's directly attributed to our modern life, including the overuse of agricultural chemicals and their subsequent pollution, but also from the loss of habitat based on growth. I mean, more roads, more houses, more people. And at times I find it um, really disheartening. But I also know that there are some things that I can personally do to help improve things because I really do care. Um, You know, for me, the very first thing was making the decision to avoid using synthetic products in my garden and on my property. That's for the safety of me and my family. That led to learning about organic practices and how to use natural products and natural practices. Um, And to understand those, I had to learn more about native plants and soil biology and you know once i really got involved with this i re- and talking with other people i realized i really enjoy helping others and supporting others with their gardening so i started the taylor texas backyard gardeners facebook page and that has grown like crazy and then uh, i guess about 3 years ago i started this show And now, this month, I'm celebrating my one year of writing columns for the Taylor Press and the Elgin Courier, and it's all to share information that I've learned, Um, and I just love connecting with other plant people, and by sharing information, we all benefit. But, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to go start your own podcast, you don't have to start a Facebook page, you don't have to you know, write a column for the paper. You don't have to do any of those things. Um, You know, join a Facebook gardening group. Start with the basics of organic gardening. Um, You know, phase out. No, don't phase out. Eliminate expensive and harmful synthetic chemicals from your gardening practices. Um, Start a compost pile. Let your grass grow a little taller between mowings. Start reducing the amount of high-maintenance turf grass. Make new flower beds or wildflower sections. Plant shade trees, plant fruit trees. Replace plants with 
native and drought tolerant plants, improve your watering habits. Don't water in the middle of the day when it's going to evaporate quicker. Learn about common plant stresses, learn about garden pests, and learn safe ways to control them. Um, Add host plants and nectar plants to attract pollinators to your garden. Add keystone plants and trees and become a resource for your friends and neighbors. Now, if you are really wanting to make a greater impact, do it. Get involved in your community. I mean, a lot of um, communities across Central Texas have um, Keep Texas Beautiful affiliates. Uh, Get involved with them. Um, We have the Master Naturalist, the Master Gardener programs. Uh, You can connect with people to to learn and get in. Um, you can also learn about local ordinances. You know, there everything's online. Go to your city website, pull up the local ordinances, um, search for um, landscaping information. Um, you know, you might just come across some outdated ideas that no longer make sense, or maybe are even harmful. And you can advocate to change the ordinances and policies and help raise awareness. If you live in a neighborhood with a homeowners association, um, review those landscaping and irrigation requirements and you know see if they fall in line with um, appropriate gardening techniques. Um, present any sort of changes that you would like to see to the bylaws. Um, you know, work with your neighbors and y'all get together and say, no, this is how we want our neighborhood. Um, you know, a lot of, um, homeowners associations, um, will specify what types of grass and that you have to keep your lawn green in the front yard for a certain amount of time. We lived in a neighborhood in Southwest Austin that required it be green for like you can only have it turn brown and go dormant for like um, two months or something crazy like that. And they wanted us to have very thirsty um, lawns and that's just not practical for Central Texas. So, you know, get involved. You can talk to your neighbors. um, Talk about change. Most cities also have um, community boards, um, community committees that you can um, volunteer, um, like a parks board. Um, you can make recommendations on public spaces, public parks. You know, volunteer to serve on a board. Um, if you don't have the time for that, you know, you can make time to go and speak before them and tell them that you would like to see changes um, in the landscape rules or beautification, um, make a presentation on some idea that you would like to, to see implemented. You could do this with the schools too. You can help out a school or even like a senior center, help them with their landscaping and their gardening. Um, figure out what it would take to start a community garden. If you're, if you're passionate about gardening and you want to help others, community garden is a great way to participate you know, if that's not quite your thing, um, 
Just grow an extra row in your garden and give it away. That's a wonderful way to um, participate in your community. There are tons of ways to help and get involved, but ultimately it starts with you. Start making small changes or just jump right in with making meaningful changes. Really, it all boils down to two things, educating yourself and participating in things. Learn and then do. And I'm not the most social person. Um, I enjoy plants much more than people. I really like plant people, though. And I have met some really fantastic gardening people along the way. And I would have never had met them if I wasn't seeking out opportunities and a willingness to make change, to be curious and ask questions and resolve issues. You know, plants and animals and insects, they can't advocate for themselves, but we can do it for them, and we should. All right, happy Easter. Have a wonderful week, and happy spring. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.